Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Nice to meet you guys. They running you ragged? Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it's not too bad. It's, uh, it's, you know, there's nothing more fun to me than kind of talking about the movie to, you know, especially these quick interviews or a lot of them are kind of real like horror fans and yeah. stuff. So yeah, it's great. Um, I don't think we've ever had this many uh, folks. Minders, on. I think I call them. <laughs> Minders. Yeah. Are you, are you likely to say something, uh, horrifying that they're going to need us to delete or something is i'm sure the, i'm sure they would l- love to take the afternoon off <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want as lo- may, they were probably just making sure we got set up um yeah. does it sound okay yeah you yeah. sound fine sounds great okay sounds great um can't possibly compare i think our, our uh, uh well only, there was only one person with with paul schrader but um they got back in touch with me about 30 seconds after we got off and they already had a list of things they needed him to delete, but uh, <laughs> I, I already deleted him. Paul, Paul is uh, uh, an uncensored fella. It, not surprising. I, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys, I mean, I don't know him, but I can only imagine. Anyway, congratulations on your movie. Yes. Uh, which Thank is, you. Uh, it's, it, it's in, it's in the, in the, in the, uh, the much, much lauded, um, uh, horror, um, folk horror folk horror vein uh and, and it, it recalled to me a lot of several of my favorite movies including uh eye of the devil and um oh yeah and, uh, of course the wicker man uh but 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 you're kind of a master at taking tropes of that have been done you know over over the years and, and sort of mix them up in a new way you did that with the boy uh you know that's part of the fun of it right is is getting a chance to create something um that's familiar but but can be unique and hopefully like become iconic and that's always the kind of the goal it um i don't you know i don't think i've done it not to the degree you have by any means you know but that's all but like gremlins those kinds of things like creating things that will live on uh both in people's nightmares or just in pop culture and uh and so and then and then doing it in ways that you know, will be memorable. Yeah. It's, um, it's the f- kind of as, f- as much of the fun of, of making movies like this as anything yeah. is designing, yeah. designing something that, um, will live on. And the, uh, the cast is very good. Tuppence is, uh, sort of a friend of our, our show because she's been on, <laughs> <I love Tuppence. laughs> on twice, I think. Yeah. 
She's been on a couple times. Yep. She's amazing to me because it's like, uh, uh, and you guys will kind of know this. It's like, she has a very dark side to her and, um, and she's so talented and she's just amazing in this and like throwing herself into the character. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, my cat's getting older. And so I've been practicing taxidermy, uh, because when he <laughs> dies, I want to stuff him. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm like that she's going to direct a horror film, hopefully pretty soon. Oh, great. Um, yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, and it's, yeah, it's kind of about like a, a gremlin almost. It's about something like uh-huh. that, but she's, you know, very artful, very, she's fantastic in the movie and it's such a great part too i can't imagine um it's just one of those things that that uh certainly helps it's well written um it's a great character but i mean how often does tuppets middleton get offered the part of basically a preacher um minister which, 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 which is one of the best things about the movie is that you know because making her character a, a preacher has it changes the whole dynamic of what you would ordinarily have in the 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 yeah. the upset mother story you know yeah yeah she's struggling with the bigger bigger issues um yeah. and we should say by the way as we're maybe people will know but uh, if you don't we are talking to uh to william brent bell who's the director of the new film lord of misrule which you can see on vod as we speak um and is is yeah it is joe as joe has uh, done a nice job of describing it it's a really um uh, it, it's, it's a terrific entree in that genre that does some new stuff in the genre. Um, and, uh, uh, and as you have figured out from listening to it stars, our old friend Tuppets Middleton. Um, and also by the way, uh, what is it? Ralph Innocent? Am I pronouncing his name right? You know, the thing is this, I think it's Einstein. <laughs> it's probably Rafe. I, it's Rafe Einstein, right? Is that <laughs> people would say innocent. And then I'm like, am I pronouncing his name wrong? And so I double checked him announcing himself. Because you know, when you're a friend with somebody, you never they never yeah, say that. Exactly. So I swear I think it's Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody thinks innocent. So But you'll, you'll remember him as that guy from the office and many other things. He's always yeah. good. But but it's just he just slots so perfectly into this kind of I don't want to say it's a throwback film, but it's not but but it's the kind of movie that um, you know, 25 years ago he would have been 30 years ago, good lord, 40 years ago, would have been Christopher Lee, perhaps. Um, and, and he just, he's perfect and he's just so goddamn creepy. I'll tell you something that's really interesting to me anyway, um, is that part was written for a woman. It was a 70 year old woman who was kind of this, the witchy, you know, uh, mayor of the town in a way. And we had already gone to the UK, we were casting and, and, um, and I, worked with Ralph before and I'm friends with, we stayed friends and I knew I wanted him to be involved. And, uh, so I sent him the script and, and I went down to his local pub, you know, which is just hilarious. Like his kids were there, his dogs were there, everybody knew him. And, uh, and I was like, and he was like, yeah, there's not really a part for me really. Like I wouldn't be good as Tuppence's husband. I'm like, yeah. And, um, and he was going to play this, the green man, like a cool little cameo. And I was like, well, what about if you play Jocelyn, you know, which of course he'd read the script and it was this older woman. And uh, he's like, that's really interesting. And immediately we started thinking of name changes. Then we decided, no, we love it. And still, when we talk about the character, we talk about it as a her. Hmm. And, um, and the writer was like, I love Ralph, but fuck, man, I got to re 
write the whole character. I wrote this really strong female character. And I was like, no, don't change a thing. I go, let Ralph just interpret this character. And it really, it, it brought a, an oddness to him, you know, yeah. that uh, yeah. hopefully came. Yeah, I, I, I've done that myself. And in, in, in Piranha, there was a part that was a, a male scientist and I cast Barbara Steele. And, and we didn't change anything. And, and, it, worked, and it worked just <laughs> fine. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's uh, people are people, yeah. and uh, sometimes it even works better. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a wonderful film, and I hope people will check it out. But uh, we're very happy to have you come on. And um, also, it's in widescreen, uh, so if you get to see it in a theater, it's it's, it's it looks looks that great. Is correct. Thank you. Um, or a big giant home screen, and uh, oh, you're always plugging your big giant home screen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but, uh, Brent, right. We call you Brent. Yeah. Yep. Bill, Billy, Willie, Brent. We'll yeah. Brent. Brent. Um, yeah. uh, tell, tell Joe, Joe has no idea. What he always keeps about. me in the dark. Keep Joe in the dark. Well, I'm not sure. I know exactly what I'm talking sure. about. Exactly. Um, what did you choose based on kind of what I was saying? Oh, I mean, you sent me that last list and then you threw in the, the one other, which was fine, but kind of, um, it seemed to be sort of movies that were coming out just before the kind of cable and, and VHS era where you had to actually go to movie theaters to, to experience well, these things. But For me, that was kind of in like 1979, where like when movies kind of probably, I grew up, you know, a little bit and, um, and I look at those movies of that time and I'm like, right, that was right before, you know, it was that that was right before cable became a thing where I'm from, Lexington, Kentucky. And so you couldn't watch a movie at home unless it was on some weird late night channel. Uh, and so you either saw it in the theater or you, that was it. And, um, and so that was the last year. I think, I feel like the movies, my memory of those movies is all seeing them purely in the, in the cinema. And that was also the time when my parents were going through a divorce and I was like a your typical latchkey kid raising myself kind of thing. And, you know, my babysitter was like going to the movie theater, the, the mall. And um, or that's what I would do with my parents when they didn't know what to do with me. When they were, you know, watching me separately now, my dad had to pay attention to me and my mother didn't know what to do. And they would just take me to movies and stuff. And uh, and there were so many, of course, in that whole little pocket of time. Um, I mean, the movie, my favorite movie that jumps out to me the most is Being There, which which I mentioned. Um, and I look at that as such a strange movie for a little kid to be so excited about. But um, I can tell you, like, like Peter Sellers. Well, were you excited like my, before you saw it or you mean after you had seen it? Before and after. Um, okay, so. Because my dad's... Like Peter Sellers was one of my heroes and because he was one of my dad's heroes. And so, and over time, right, he had become a bit of a caricature of himself in those Pink Panther movies eventually. So then to see him do that movie and be so subtle and strange, which kind of harkened back to his earlier stuff, maybe, you know, and uh, I was, I just felt like he was part of the family to me. Um, and he died, you know, soon after. So I remember that, you know, that he didn't die before the movie came out. I think he died about a year after. But um, it made that final scene, which was, you know, like uh, him doing outtakes. Like, you know, he was quite young. And uh, it, it was, it was, 
it was just really cool to see. Like I felt like, wow, this is my hero in his kind of, you know, getting the 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 um, due he deserves. And but then I look back at it now, and I'm like, it's it's such a movie that um, is interesting to me of the way you know the social commentary and then such crazy music Hal Ashby did. And I'm living in the house of the guy that did the score. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, just for me, like that strange humor, you know, of that movie. And, uh, and I'd say the last thing to me about that is, is like just the magical realism of it, which I realized when I look back, you know, at the movies I've made, I'm like, all oh, right. Like I really lean into that. I really, you know, I, but he didn't know it at the time. And now I can look back and go, yeah, magical realism is just something that, yeah. Yeah. So it's also, it's so, we were just talking the other day with another guest, but um, a similar career uh, in, in this way. But, you know, of course the, the reality is that it wasn't his last movie, but we have, I think correctly over time uh, revised it. We were talking about Burt Reynolds, whose last movie should have been, our friend Adam Rifkin's the last movie star, but instead he went off and did three truly terrible movies after that before he died. But yeah, it's, it's, if you're going to be remembered, I think being there is probably better than fiendish. Well, yeah. of Dr. Fu Manchu. Exactly. <laughs> Which was what I mean. Like that was him and it's his yeah. most ridiculous. And I'm sure he was probably miserable. Well, if he wasn't miserable, he was making other people miserable. Because <laughs> he was not, yeah, right. he was not well, a popular guy on the set. <laughs> Well, did you guys know that at the time? Like, of course, I learned that 20 years later. But as a kid, I didn't know. He no, was no. Well, I don't think I knew as, that back as, then. as a kid, we never knew anything. You know, <laughs> we just didn't. <laughs> but, but as soon as anybody uh, goes, it's like all of a sudden everything comes. Oh, you know, nobody ever liked him. Yeah. You know, I say, well, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I feel bad. He very much hid behind his characters, didn't he? he well, like, he he was he was, he was. There's a very good book about him, which I can't remember the title of, but uh, it's it's his, his picture of him on the cover with several faces, and uh, he was a person who didn't never knew who he really was, and that was sort of the source of his genius, and also the, the source of all of his problems. Yeah, and um, a great and I'll talk. say, I'm sorry. Yeah, which one? No, I said there's a great doc too that Peter Medak made about working with him. Goes um, goes to the noonday sun. That picture that didn't get finished. Yeah, so. yeah, it's wonderful. It gives you a real sense of of what a handful he could be. Um, but it's uh, which doesn't Let take me, away at all from his genius. I mean, it just sort of it, it makes you sad for the guy that um, he had to be or felt he had to be so so tormented to do his job. Yeah. The um, and I'll say by the way, just to bounce around 1979, you know, if you like, um, it's like Amityville Horror is another movie that really stuck out to me, and I think it was because it was the first time I, you know, we always talk about like a, a location being a character in a movie, and um, and it's true, but I'm like that was I think you know the first time I was like oh yes this location is uh, the movie. The eyes of that house, you know, was were um, uh, so memorable to me. The um, and the blood on the walls. But uh, and I was going to ask you something, Joe. Um, I mean, you mentioned Piranha, um, but before that, you did um, Grand Theft Auto, like edited, yeah, yeah. And um, 
what was that like? <laughs> because I kind of, I, I kind of, I have a story about that. Well, but. Ron uh, was doing, he, he was directing his first picture for Roger Corman. And uh, he uh, he knew that Alan Arkish and I had just done a picture called Hollywood Boulevard for really cheap. And he wanted us to edit. He, he wanted us to work on his movie. So Alan did second unit and I, I edited it. Uh, and because he wanted to have people who knew score about what was, how to work for Roger and all that kind of stuff. And he was, he was, I was impressed. I mean, he had learned so much from all the people that he'd worked with, that the, the coverage was like, it would just cut like butter. I mean, everything, everything was in the right place. And, uh, and, he, and, his, and his dad, who co-wrote the script with him, um, was always in the editing room sort of hovering over my shoulder. And, and they had shot this thing out on locations in, in Chatsworth and, and uh, Needles, places like that. And I would be cutting scenes and, and then Rance would lean over and he'd say, well, oh, you can't cut from there to there. And I said, why is that? He said, well, because... Because that's a dirt road. When we shot this, it's a dirt road. And the way you've got to cut it looks like it's a paved road. I said, um, Rance, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Only you know. Nobody's going to notice. <laughs> it was, he, was, he was a wonderful guy. We got to be very friendly. But um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. And, and the idea of actually editing somebody else's movie was something I just needed to do. I, I just needed to prove to myself yeah. that I could do it. Probably also a, very, a lesson in humility to some degree, oh, right? Like my gosh, I had, pl- I had plenty such of such a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> and the, part of the reason, because when I saw that you edited that, the um, is the first movie I did, which was it never really got finished, and it, and it wasn't. It was the only non-horror movie I've done, um, and we did it for like twenty-five thousand dollars. You know, when I was like twenty-five years old, but um, it, it was it was kind of like used cars or something. And it was about a, a RV lot. And I was able to get to Clint Howard, which was Ron's little brother, you know, who was perfect for this part of this one salesman. And he's like, have you cast the role of the, the older guy that comes in to the lot? And I was like, no. He goes, you should, you know, it'd be great if you meet my dad. And, and so, I, so I went and drove and I, he was like, go meet him at uh, Bob's whatever, Bob's big, what's it called? Bob's Burgers or Bob's Big Boy. And I didn't know who he was. And then I pulled up and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I know who this guy is, you know, and he's going to be in my little movie. And then we sat down and had lunch and he started telling me stories about, like, how they wrote that script. And it was Ron's first movie. And um, he go, and then Rance was like, uh, so have you cast the role of the older lady that comes on to the lot? <laughs> and I was like, no. He's like, well, I'd love to introduce you to my wife. So then he drives me to their house, Burbank, where they grew up. And, you know, and I'm sitting with Jean and him and she's bringing me tea and they're trying to convince me to put them in the movie, which, of course, to me is like <laughs> a dream come true. And I'm looking at her. She's talking and underneath their television are like VHS tapes of like backdraft. And uh, and she goes, yeah, you know, you're the only third director that's ever come to the house. And she was like, it's uh, she goes, it was you and Ron and uh, Danny DeVito. That was it, you three. And of course, I'm like 25 going, oh, this is so cool. So it, it was, uh, what a great family. Yeah, Rance, what a sweet. So wait, did you, so you cast guy. them all? Yeah. Oh, okay. And did he have more people after that? Or is it, I just see this whole like. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it was, and, and the thing is, they were literally like as written. She was oh, sure. the per, she was perfect. And, um, and it was great. She had to cuss. And he's like, are you sure you want her to say fuck? Are you sure? And I go, I go, it's, that's going to be really 
funny, you know? And, and he's like, that's fine. I just want to make sure. But they came up to, I mean, we shot it in Vegas. They came and stayed like in a little tiny crappy, we did it for free. It was, it was, um, Really cool getting to know them. I mean, what a there's cool a uh, there's a good book called The Boys that uh, Ronald Clint wrote about uh, about them and their family and the whole thing. It's 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 and it's very frank. It's really a good book. I got I got that from my dad for Christmas last year. I don't think he's read it though. I love the idea of each one keeps you know you hire her and then she turns you on to an actor and then that actor turns you into another one and by the time you're done you know, got a dynasty <laughs> you've been you've been replaced by Ron Howard as the director of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I never get to meet Ron Howard, um, and even Joe, I've seen you at those at the at the DGA dinners, uh, right? Um, but we've never had to meet. And uh, yeah, I always thought I was like, oh, Ron will see the movie one day. We never really finished it. Well, yeah, actually, actually I'm it, sure you remind me of Ron in a lot of ways. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking I want, I want it. Yeah, I want him to see it because I think it would, it's just a great little. I don't think he's. He doesn't know anything yeah. about it, you know. And his parents—they're quite funny in the movie and cute and you know. Yeah, good. Sorry to get off topic. No, no problem. That's why we're. That's what we live for, kind of. Uh, uh, what is what is next? Well. It's funny because, you know, I look at, and it has nothing to do, by the way, almost with Lord of Misrule. You know, I think of being there, having this kind of mirror to it because of the odd quality of especially him and the people around him and kind of liking, like I said, I mean, the end of that movie as a nine-year-old kid or whatever, you know, of him. I wasn't expecting that, you know, to him go and put his umbrella into the lake. Um, and walk on water. But uh, but other things around that time, it was like Kramer versus Kramer and 10, you know, it, it was all, I think, attached to kind of my parents' divorce. And um, and I was kind of uh, watching Dudley Moore stumble around and it reminded me of my dad when he was newly single at 29 years old or something. And um, Kramer versus Kramer, it just felt like our life. So it was just a really... Uh, weird year in that way and uh and then jumping around to something like when a stranger calls which is on my list um which to me is just one of the best 15 minute movies <laughs> you know <laughs> ever uh that i don't know that you know i know they tried to remake it but um that's right yeah a couple of years ago, and, yeah. And, make, and they tried to make the whole movie that first 15 minutes essentially which you know just once again talking about creating things that remain in the zeitgeist um, you know, the calls coming from in the house. It's, yeah. it's just one of those things, you know, that uh, stuck with me. And I've always wanted to try to create something like that. Which is crazy because that's not even, that's the one everybody, wait a minute, am I wrong? It just Yeah, it's it's not even the movie that that did that first. Um, oh, what did it first? Because for years I would hear people say it. I always assume they are referencing Black Christmas. And it's like, you know, people would look at me like, what are you talking about? And it's like, because that's the, that's that terrifying moment in Black Christmas when you find out that those creepy phone calls have been traced back to the, to the upstairs. But, but yeah, obviously as a, uh, uh, kind of centerpiece, um, whatever that, that, that sequence, that opening sequence and when a stranger calls is, is deeply iconic and, and and does kind of make it its own, but yeah, it was just it was a personal thing. It was just about a year ago I found out that that's what they're talking about. 
Because every time somebody said the full, I, I assume they were referencing Black, which is a movie I love. That's but, crazy. Um, the uh, yeah, yeah the, the poor movie. You know, uh, when a stranger calls, yeah, became a completely different, you know, movie after that first fifteen minutes. Became a cop, you know, kind of thriller. Um, yeah. And, and who, uh, it's, uh, it's the yes. great. It's uh, isn't it Carol Carol King, right? Carol, Carol King. King. Yeah. 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 It's been such a long time since I've seen it. <clears throat> in the beginning, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, as, as a babysitter, you know, in that great era of babysitter stories, which is so relatable, you know, to me. Um, the uh, it's funny. I'm, I'd be curious what you guys think. You know, when I'm looking at that year, and I'm like Superman, the first Superman, Star Trek, the first Star Trek. You know, now we've rehashed them, and I guess maybe Superman had been on television and mm-hmm. stuff. But not launched as these, I mean, huge franchises. Well, that was the first time that they took what was essentially grade B comic book movies and turned them into grade A expensive movies. I mean, the credits alone on, yeah. on Superman run for 15 minutes. <laughs> it's just it's endless cards coming at you. <laughs> right, yeah. um, but, it, but it was a good movie and it was, it was you know, technically really good. And of course, it wasn't even, it wasn't yeah. even the whole movie. There was so much left over. From, that they that they did another one and used half the stuff for the new movie and half half stuff with the, the director but um is that the way it happened yeah the, the oh, wow. superman 2 has got mostly footage from uh, richard donner but then richard lester came in and re shot or added uh, like most of it and so it's kind of a hybrid uh it's the Salkines. did you ever the Salkines used to do that all the time did you ever have that happen to you no I never, I never came in over, over, uh, over budget or with extra footage. <laughs> but yeah, they, had, they kind of pioneered that by with the uh, the musketeer. Yeah, when the musketeer movie, the, the, the three musketeers they made as uh, all one movie, and and then they realized it was too long to release as uh, as a whole picture, so they just cut it in half and and released the other one as the, the second as three musketeers two, and of course the actors were only paid for one movie. And so there was quite a brouhaha about that, and they had to pay them all again because they actually got two movies out of one. Good deal. But I remember, but yeah, back to your sort of point that, that yes. I remember, you know, as a kid, um, the you know, and as a, as a, you know, I love Star Trek. Star Trek had been off the air for you know a decade at that point, and um, uh, longer, right, and. You know, both of those films, I had this kind of so excited about the prospect of them. I mean, the, the, you know, this was a time when effects were just exploding and, you know, the tagline could simply be, you'll believe a man can fly. And we were all like, I can't wait to see that, you know? And, um, I mean, it, it was, it was amazing. Obviously Superman delivered Star Trek. I've, I can still feel that feeling in the pit of my stomach about 45 minutes into it where you're just going oh no <laughs> and um uh we had nicholas meyer on the show a while back and i thanked him for for you know saving saving the series uh with the next one but you know i think if you would yeah. ask me though as a kid because i was very excited and it was a different era and it was like movies were not as a rule big movies certainly weren't marketed and made and marketed towards me as a child and if you had said to me how would you like to live in a world where pretty much everything now is going to be like this i probably would have said i you know i'm i'm fine as it is 
I, I, I like my dad used to take me up to see Robert Alban films. And I didn't understand them, but I liked that. It gave me some, and it was just like, you know, it was so special. There was going to be a real superhero movie. Marlon Brando is going to be in it. And, Oh my God, they've got tons. It's like the state of the art effects and, and Mario Puzo who wrote the Godfather is writing it. And da, da, da. It's like, you, you don't need to do that every week. <laughs> yeah. You know? Is that, yeah. Are we finally kind of at the end of that run? Well, we're, we're, it's, it's waning a little bit because of the, uh, the recent developments in the Marvel world and the DC world uh, of things. People, after a certain point, people just do get fed up with stuff. I mean, how many times can you go to the well and bring back the same water? Like, okay. Well, yeah. How many times can two characters float above a city and throw each other through buildings? Yeah. And fire um, beams yeah. from their hands at each other until the red beam overpowers the yellow beam. Yeah, I think <laughs> I. I still think it's a it's a it's a great world, and it's like it's just telling more unique stories within the world, hopefully, of, yeah. of superheroes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that that they, they're missing a trick by not doing, you know, where's the like, because it is, it's it's always going to be fifteen different villains and world shattering stuff, and that's not what we loved about the comics. Those stories were fun, but they also did, you know, there's an entire issue of Spider Man where he's stuck under a, you know, a, a giant generator and has to get out, and there are single standalone like, where's the Dirty Harry of superhero movies where it's like. But what's interesting is what's yeah. interesting is, is the the superheroes that they don't. Uh, take advantage of for a while in the i think in the 80s i was involved in an attempt to make a plastic man movie and the uh the uh the, the technology just did not exist at that time to make a good plastic it does now but nobody's ever gone back to plastic man which is also a very odd and sort of humorous kind of weird comic yeah. anyway uh, you would think that somebody would have latched onto it and said, "Well, let's let's do this guy because he's actually really pretty contemporary." But nobody, nobody's revisited it. And if they could do them, you know, uh, more intimately, kind of what you're describing, and say it's not going to be a two hundred million dollar blockbuster, it's going to be that sweet spot, you know, thirty to fifty yeah. million dollar, whatever. Um, and uh, which, like, I don't know. Hopefully, is kind of coming back. But um, you know, my dad is always. He's like, when are you going to make it? Like one of the movies I like, like when are you going to make on golden pond? Like it's, he likes those kind of movies. And, and I was like, and I wanted to do the superhero movie. That was this retired old superhero, you know? And I, but it was all kind of, it was, it was Joker meets on golden pond and um, just hard to get that made. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, you can cast two guys in that. And, um, but to me, it's like, yeah, those, those are, those are, bringing in the kind of really intimate kind of character aspects of these guys, or like you said, the dirty Harry, um, a little more just simple, um, versions of those movies. Yeah. We'll get there. But they're also, yeah, I mean, I think right now they're limited by kind of having to do, you know, if you're making these movies for $200 million, it, it sort of, it kind of limits what you can do in a weird way. And they have to run three hours. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't do just like a standalone small piece, whereas the comic books cost exactly the same to produce every month, whether or not Jack Kirby was taking you to the ends of the universe or whether or not it was just like a story about Peter Parker trying to pay his bills. And you paid 35 cents for it, and he got paid the same amount to draw a different pay. So that you, you could bounce around in size and scope and scale very easily. I'm so old, I remember when they were a dime. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you guys, like, why why do they have to be longer? Just because they're 
Well, for one, I mean, the tickets don't go reason, up because there are so many characters to serve. I mean, you know, it's not just the one character. It's like they're all together. It's the Justice League and they're all played by movie stars and they've all got to have their big scene. And, you know, and before you know it, you know, you've got you've got a four hour rough cut and you go, well, who are we going to cut short? Because, you know, we got these deals with all these people who are supposed to be you know, featured. And it's uh, it's not not a problem I would like to have, frankly. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of crazy politics yeah. in making a movie that. Yeah. It's already tricky enough. Yeah, it's a lot of it. I guess that's what I was trying to get is there's a lot of external issues that have to be serviced just to be able to make this. So it has to fit into all these different boxes. Like you say, each character has to get their moment. And, you know, when it's just a comic book, that's not there. You know, yeah, maybe Robin won't show up this month. Who cares? He'll be back next month. Or <laughs> and then you just follow Robin. Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. We want to pause a minute here and thank our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, Showing Good Taste, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's usually a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodies. And look, folks, if you've been paying any attention at all to what's happening in the world of movies, which I have to assume you are since you're listening to our show, you know that streaming is not the way to go. It is completely unreliable. Your favorite movie could be here one day and just completely gone, like not exist anymore ever uh, the next. So uh, physical media is the way to go. And Movies Unlimited are the masters of physical media. They really are great. So go to MoviesUnlimited.com and buy all the physical media you can get your hands on and remember shipping is always free on orders over $50 tell them Josh and Joe sent you want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well I've got the podcast for you I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Rocky II was interesting to me because, and, and I feel like you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Wrath of Khan, you know, a lot of times the second movie is maybe the best movie, you know. To me, and I'm really a believer in trilogies, and some people don't like the idea of franchises, but a lot of times to me as a writer or just a storyteller, um, get to the end of 90 minutes and I'm just getting to know the characters. So it's like, I want to see, now that you know them and uh, and we know that we don't have to cram it all into one movie, you know, you can start to explore them in the second movie. And of course, today, if they tried to make Rocky, the first one, they probably would have tried to cram first two movies into one and he has to win everything into the first movie but it was so that was one of those things i remember going back to the theater and it was one of the few times i could remember where a movie started you five minutes before the end of the last movie 
and we got to see the whole finale again, which is kind of a great trick. Yeah. And um, and then go into okay, he takes it to the next level. But it's such an emotional, uh, cool way to start a film that I kind of never forgot. And and then I still come back to that movie so many times when I'm working with writers, um, especially about kind of violence, you know, like a killer. Um, and I'm like, but, but it went with a heart <laughs> and, and, it, and you get to that moment of like, uh, he wants to give up. And then his wife, who's just had a baby, you know, is like, you know, I want, you know, I want you to win. And you're like, what? You know, I want you to kill them. I want you to kill them all <laughs> yeah, in, in, the, in that kind of a movie. And, uh, and may, you know, it's just such a, I don't know that many exciting moments like that moment where she told him to go and fight and win. Um, and then the score and the way the bell came in, it's, it's, uh, once again, those are just things as that stick have stuck with me and get laid into every story that I ever want to tell, you know, are, um, those kind of moments, which are just sense memories for me of just being in the theater with really my dad, I guess, you know, who's showing up in the morning tomorrow to visit. But you're not you're not saying the Rocky two is better than Rocky. No, I'm not oh. saying that. Um, I, I have, I'll have you know I don't expect uh, Scott Atkins was on our show a while back and he asserted that and he is a master of pretty much every martial art and nonetheless as a good Philadelphia boy I challenged him to a fight over that. <laughs> I mean I think Rocky uh, one Rocky one baby. <laughs> as much as anything to me those are you know those are those two movies com- are, to me complete a whole movie. So, and especially with that overlap, but I probably look at it like that, you know, like obviously Wrath of Khan's a totally different movie, but yeah. Empire Strikes Back and it was like, they're all continuations of a story that kind of was incomplete. Um, so to me, Rocky one and Rocky two are, are kind of one story, but mm. yeah, going back and remembering movies like Rocky and it's kind of like the first Halloween, which is kind of my favorite, which is my favorite horror movie, you know? Once again, the characters become a bit caricatures of themselves as time goes on. But that first movie is a Hitchcock film, you know, and uh, and I feel that's yeah, that's the way it's the first so, Rocky was. It's so interesting to me. to me. We talked a little about this before, but it's it's really interesting to me the way that 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 series came back in a way because you're right, it got so ludicrously cartoonish, and and then he tried to rein it in initially um, with I don't know somewhere in there was. It Rocky five or Rocky Balboa or something, but then that notion of um, it branching off into the Creed series. Yeah. And those films really, especially the first one just really did an amazing job of bringing back the character that you remember from the first two that you hadn't really seen before. So as much as it became that, as you say, like that, that franchise cartoon, it did actually come back to its roots in a kind of beautiful way. I thought. Yeah. And that's not a- see that coming. No, and it was, it's a great, you know, lesson storytelling of, of enough time going by to where you can kind of shift the character dynamics, but really tell the same story again yeah. and start from scratch with what made the first one so kind of exciting and leading into the second. Two, two, other, uh, two other movies that begin with the scenes from the previous picture are um, Demetrius and the Gladiator starts with the last scene from The Road. Or, yeah, and uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, starts with the end of oh, horror yeah. of Dracula. So it's. Eh. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a 
underused uh, storytelling it, device? It only works when you're going to have continuing characters, you know. Uh, but it, it's, it's a great, it, it's fallen out of favor, kind of, but, it, but I think it's a great way in, into a sequel. And it's got to be a good final scene of the yeah, yeah, obviously. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do like as much as it is starting to get cartoony. I'm I'm a big fan too of the uh, the third one because it's sort of like that nice evolution in the relationship of those two characters. Yeah, um, and that that freeze frame ending is still one of my favorite endings of all time. That's what I was gonna. <laughs> mention it's, it's it's great i i don't even mind that it shows up as a photographic creed because the whole point is there's nobody else there to see it and you're like who took that fucking photograph <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that is the beauty of yeah uh filmmaking is you can kind of get away with it yeah yeah like exactly exactly uh well what's next the um i know i'm just kind of jumping around um sure like the jerk um yeah. once again like that was um i you know i still have a stick it tub a ticket stub from steve martin um a live show like when he was doing arenas you know oh, wow. and um so once again another kind of just a hero who he got his shot to make his movie which was kind of a um a reflection of his stand-up to that about half of it right the storylines um but just another one of those weird things where it was like, yeah, that was my, I mean, I've got behind me, uh, Steve Martin uh, framed thingy, but uh, it was, yeah, just leaning into kind of, I guess for me, it's like realizing how much your parents can um, affect like uh, the rest of your life. And here it's like all these things that in particular, my dad loved like Peter Sellers and uh, Steve Martin doing great movies and great things uh, that that particular year, right in the middle of div that divorce for me and uh, kind of realizing, you know, like all these years later, I'm still affected by that stuff. And it's kind of in different ways, bled into my work. Um, but yeah, with that movie, I thought it was pretty funny. Just the, the way that he brought his, comedy act kind of to the big screen and then adapted into something a bit different. Yeah. He was such a unique, I mean, there've been huge comedians before and there's certainly been huge ones since, but there's something about the way that he just like seeped into the culture that, that well, it, it's kind of like that. It's not like being there, but it's his, all of his comedy is kind of, there's a magical realism to it. He plays a part of this kind of idiot who is actually creates these, stories with his comedy that's very ironic but he's always the butt of his own jokes you know sort of um, yeah, or he's the sm thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he's not which um is kind of the opposite maybe of what peter sellers was doing and being there but still similar. it helps that he's really a good actor i mean uh it, it, yeah. oh my gosh steve is so serious about what he does that he's so analytical and, and self-critical uh yeah, I, Have you guys been following watching his new show? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Only Murders. Yes, it's a terrific, it's a terrific show. Great fun. It's been really cool to see. Like, it's the most Steve Martin thing I've seen in twenty yeah. years. You know, like where you're like, yeah, his fingerprints and Martin Short. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
Um, yeah, they're obvious. Well, I guess they're, yeah, of course they're having a good time. They're, didn't he just basically announce that he's retired, except he's going to keep doing that one show for the rest of his life? <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, and it makes sense. Um, that's one of those examples. I, you know, I was always like, gosh, I'll never work with Steve Martin because like, why would he ever like be in a movie that I would do? Then I was like, well, wait a minute. What if we do this movie about this, you know, grandfather and he's kind of losing his mind has to move back in with his daughter. Um, and her, you know, she's a single mother and it's like, do we have to put him in a home or not? Um, is, and then it was like, yeah, is he, is he losing his mind sundowning or is he, is there something else? And, uh, I was like, that could be my Steve Martin movie. Maybe never, never got there. Never, not never, yet. never pursued it. Not yet. Well, now I, now when I, I read that he doesn't want to do anything else, but his show, I'm like, shit. They always say that though. You never know. You never know. Well, yeah, but there was that thing. I mean, just remember like the, those, you know, the SNL and then the albums, or maybe it was just my age or something, but he just, I mean, that was, you know, the fact that he was playing like stadiums and, and, you know, would have like the Blues Brothers open for him while he's playing these like sold out massive venues. It was just kind of a, a thing that it, it just felt like you hadn't seen a comedian really quite do before. Um, I mean, with the, the ticket stub I have was Rupp Arena, which is 23,000 people. And, um, and, and I used to, you know, headphones, um, you know, when my the whole divorce thing, um, I would just listen to his albums, which my dad had all of his albums on 78 speed and just in the mirror and I, and on these white headphones and just, yeah. I knew, you know, all the words. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what right. happened. When I look back, I didn't know what half of his jokes really meant. Cause they're quite either adult or really ironic. Um, but like at six years old or whatever. But um, it was. Uh, I yeah, was we all knew those records. I remember. Right? I like, yeah, yeah. I said socket, not sprocket. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Like that was yeah. In, in college, me and my friend, that was our um, voicemail, outgoing messages. We went, we bounced back and forth between the lines of that whole joke, which is a ridiculously long. <laughs> once again, he's an idiot of his own. Yeah. Joke. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It pays off to a punchline that nobody gets intentionally yeah. <laughs> yeah but those plumbers supposed to be here uh, last night or was that <laughs> sure i'm pissed <laughs> i was yeah listening to those albums come i i find myself now like trying to do this thing where if you can't sleep then don't fight it and go do something i think what you're supposed to do is like go sit in a quiet corner but i end up going and start working and um and so i ended up listening to Steve Martin's albums again a couple uh, nights ago. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's uh, never ending. Yeah, no, he was so great. Still is uh, very cool. And then you had a, you had one more you wanted to uh, throw out, which is actually a, a film that I don't think has ever come up on the show before, which I uh, hadn't thought about in a long time. Alien? Oh no, sorry. <laughs> I, my bad yeah well yes no that that i think we've discussed alien before once or twice maybe sure like, you, had, you had another one but we'll get to oh, that oh okay yeah yeah but no no let's, let's do alien you're right we have not. no 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 so no, you, the you other alien in a theater as a so you're you're a kid you're like what like six you say yeah yeah like? i was a kid and um and so your dad took you to alien yeah and um very nice that was amazing but no, I would love to talk about the other. Well, what we'll, get the other? we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, okay. I, uh, well, Do you know no, the other? We'll, well, yeah, we'll talk about the other in a minute, but I, I want to talk about the alien. Oh, you're first. talking about the other oh, the movie. Yeah. I thought you were just talking about yeah. another movie. Oh, you're, you're too fast. 
and other movies. But but I, I I realized we had we had not done Alien yet. But um, I'm fascinated because uh, my dad took me to a lot of inappropriate films. I'm trying to think if I ever saw anything at the age of six that was absolutely as balls to the wall terrifying as Alien was. Especially, and I don't think so. But I mean, that must have melted your brain. To me, it was just really cool and dark and exciting. Um, I never got scared by that because I, I think maybe I didn't relate to them uh, personally. Um, it just was an amazing. Like, I love that dark sensibility of uh, a story like that. And um, and just that group, you know, the the kind of chemistry they all had. Um, probably one of my fav- favorite things about that movie was uh, the android. Gosh, what was his name? Oh, Ian Holm. Yes. Yeah. And um, that kill scene at the end, um, that kind of practical use of one knocking his head off, yeah. Um, and then rebooting him, um, yeah. Yeah. his, his, his severed head, um, seeing that done, it was such interesting design to me, the milky blood and the strange veins and tubes and yeah, bubbles and pockets. It, yeah. It, it was, um, you know. Once again, another thing that it's like you, you strive to try to kind of make something as good as that one day, you know? Yeah. But that that's a, specifically, it's a great aspect of that film because it's not at all what you expect to see when you dissect an android in a movie at that time. And yet it's all so, you can tell there's a reason behind it all. It all makes sense. You accept it, you know, you accept whatever that stuff is at all, it all characters are buying it so you buy it and i really appreciate the fact that it wasn't just the usual you know cybernetic lights and Blitches. gibberish and so, yeah 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 but uh, good stuff but um, yeah 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 but yeah let's let's uh, but yeah sure let's do the other movie that you are going to talk about um this is like the movie the other which is probably you know one of my favorite all-time movies not the others which oh. people um yeah it's awesome and um but the other which you know is about these two these twin boys you know who it felt like they were in europe or something but they were kind of in connecticut or and living in this kind of farmhouse and one was good one was bad holland and niles i think um it was you know based on this great book and um and then, you know, people start dying in this little community and these kids kind of, the bad kid especially is just doing horrible things to people and and they wind up dead. I mean, there are moments in that of, you know, the kid jumping off the, their cousin who screams that he's king of the mountain and he's always, you know, kind of like the mean cousin jumping off the balcony of the barn into the hay. And, uh, and at a certain point in the movie, I don't know if you guys know this movie, but um, of they're just being just a hard cut to there's a pitchfork now in the hay and him seeing it and screaming. And then I think it's kind of a hard cut to them carrying this tiny little casket out of the house. But um, and it has one of those great twists, you know, um, where you reveal kind of what's really going on. Um, which for me, I could still watch that movie today and that twist be spine tingling. And I just love trying to find ways to create movie, moments like that. Um, yeah. 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 It, um, and the, you know, it, 
it leads to it. Anyway, it's a movie that I find when I'm talking to fans of horror, they aren't as familiar with. No, it doesn't um, have a high profile but, at all. And it, and it didn't, yeah, and it didn't and it was, when it, and it, and it didn't when it came out even. I mean, it did not just set the world. Yeah, I, it is, I don't think it's ever come up. Yeah, it was. I mean, it came out, you know, close to times of The Exorcist yeah. and things like that, when those books were were turning into big Hollywood movies, sort of. And um, the guy who directed it is the guy who directed, uh, um, well, what is it called? Uh, oh, I'm sure you're, you're looking at it. Um, Robert Mulligan. Yeah. Um, and so he came from this very, you know, um, dramatic background, and they brought him into this scary movie um, to, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, I realize that. Yep. But it's, you know, it is just such an unsettling movie that feels kind of, you know, timeless. But it feels um, period, even though it's not really yeah. at the time. It's got a weird. It's got a really interesting sort of tone to it. A mood that's. Um, I remember being very intoxicating when I was a kid seeing it on TV it sort of drew yeah. me in um, yeah, I didn't realize wow that's yeah from the from the director of To Kill a Mockingbird and and the star of uh, I Married a Monster from Outer Space so she was the big star oh no that, the Thomas no, Bryan wrote the book, book was the, oh yeah got it yeah the um but yeah, that's just a movie. Are you guys familiar with that movie at all? Uda, Uda Hagen oh, yeah. was the yeah. only the only na- quote yeah. name in the movie. Of course, she wasn't a name to anybody who went to the movie. She was only a name to people who went to the theater. Uh, she's very good at it. Sort of the, the Maria yeah. Uspenskaya role. <laughs> I mean, you know, her kind of um, at the end uh, realizing that you know her nephew is evil and uh, locking him in the seller of the barn setting it on fire and setting herself on fire in a very dramatic way um only for him to somehow magically escape and be up in the window it's just a moment i've probably in pitch meetings pitched that whole kind of scene of uh the aftermath you know like cutting from this huge blazing fire to this this smoldering barn and um and camera coming in on the on the on the great lock and it's just broken and then coming outside and going up everybody's trying to you know repair the area and then you realize he's up in the window still looking down still evil still alive um yeah it's it's probably not a good probably not a good movie to invoke at pitch meetings because uh it's you're you're gonna get (laughs) a lot of blank stares (laughs) no you're right uh but you know, and I've made a, a, you know a handful of movies that have been very inspired by that. Um, but I think, yeah, in, in probably pitching that moment, I don't mention what movie it's from because <laughs> <laughs> nobody would quite know it. I'm sorry, is it even available in any? Uh... It must be at yeah, movies unlimited. Uh, I'm I'm not. It's uh, I can't say for sure. I somehow um, had I downloaded it ages ago. Oh yeah, like, you can all like, stuff. If, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's not it might easy be on Amazon Prime. Well, most things are there. That's sort of the graveyard of, of when you can't find it anywhere it's, else. It's, so I don't know Amazon Prime. Yeah, it does not seem to be. And it's got a great tagline, which is you know, um, "Where's the baby, Holland?" Yeah. Where's the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. I've not thought about that in a long time, but I do remember it was one of those things that came on like some million dollar movie when I was a kid in Philly. And it just See, this is, it's like he did his favorite year, 1979. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, but, but there's something about it, even though there's long stretches of it. I mean, I'm, just, I'm having this real strong sense memory of, of seeing it. And it's like, it doesn't, nothing horrific ostensibly is happening on screen, but I remember just being lured into it in a way I would not normally about you know, what appeared to be just... No, it's a very normal. quiet movie, and but, I think that's one of the reasons it didn't catch fire. But, but a very yeah. creepy... But it's, it's, it's not, and, unlike, you know, not unlike what you do, you know? Well, and, and, it's, and it's a bit unflinching, you know? It's uh, like the whispers and the kid going and cutting his father's finger off in his casket to take his ring and running around. And even in this new movie, the little girl runs around at the beginning and you can hear her little box of stuff, which... In that movie, the kid ran around with this box and you heard it jostling around and you didn't know what was in it. And it was his little favorite things. And one turned out to be the ring and then the finger. But um, yeah, it's uh, one of those ones that stuck with me. You're right. It's like so much of the editing of that movie is so interesting to me because they didn't usually show like something to a death. It would be a buildup. And then cut away and then a reveal of the aftermath of what happened, which was so much more shocking because you didn't really right. see mm -hmm. the, the moment. You had to kind of use your imagination. And um, even with the baby, you know, where's the baby Holland was, was they bring home at the end of the movie, you know, the little newborn, put it in the bed and there's a storm and you think everything's over and there's no more evil. And then the baby's gone and then they find it, you know, submerged in a, uh, I mean, you know, it's weird, right? Seeing movies like that when you're like the littlest kid in the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it obviously scarred you. Yeah. In a Clearly. weird way, yeah. Clearly, yes. Uh, cool, man. Well, thank you, Brent. Thank you so much, man. This has been this is. Thank you for fun. fitting uh, us in. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. guys. I'm you're sorry I was late. Day. No, it's okay. And, uh, and, uh, but, um, but the movie is Lord of Misrule. It's on VOD as we speak. Um, it's really, really cool. Uh, check it out. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously, Joe did as well. And um, uh, you, you will not be sorry. Yeah, I, I wish there were more of those. Um, you just have to keep making movies. Whatever that genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's not just folk horror. It's that kind of weird, kind of British, small. I can't even. If I, I Anything with harvests in it, yeah. you know, it's always scary. <laughs> yes, harvest, harvest, deadly harvest. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, thank you guys so much. It was so great meeting you guys. And that's it for us, folks, for 2023. We're going to take a little time off, enjoy some holiday fun with uh, friends, family, and loved ones. We hope you will too. And we will be back in the new year with a whole bunch of new guests as well as some uh, old familiar friends. So, uh, from me and Joe, have a great holiday. Uh, we love you. We couldn't do this without you. And uh, take care of yourselves, folks. The Movies That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for the movies that made me.
Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.